overjoyed that our previous guest, a dear friend of mine, has joined us for a third episode and is becoming a regular voice on the podcast. In that spirit, we have in this episode our most informal and wide-ranging conversation yet. The list of topics we cover is too long to adequately summarize, but to name a few, we discuss modern television's devious mechanisms to get us to binge content, the film industry's fixation on sequels and remakes in lieu of new material, learning about and integrating unfamiliar value systems, and the class insensitivity of the bourgeois millennial. As the discussion picked up significantly near the one-hour mark, it became clear that several of the subjects we cover deserve further attention in a future podcast. We will take that to heart in the next episode we plan to release next week. That being said, this podcast is for everyone. I hope you enjoy, and take care. Undergraduate university in the United States, especially private school education, it's a glorified summer camp. It's a summer. It's a year-round summer camp. Yeah, and people love. I mean, you go to a big dining hall, you play with your friends. You, you like you play most of. I think you're playing with your friends like most of, and it's a it's a sad thing because it's because it's sad to see in some sense because there are many people that don't get to go to college and there are many people that don't get the opportunity to receive an education. But there's a staunch difference between going to like a state school that's in the middle of a city with a lot of people commuting and going to, yeah. you know, your your nice private school where student kids are, I'm not saying the kids aren't smart or motivated, but like they, they spend so much time. And this is, of course, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but they spend so much time not doing anything important. Yeah, it, it, <clears throat> at the very least, it's inefficient. Like a lot of people study in libraries uh, in big groups and make loud noises I remember being a student and actually there were these little placards that said please be quiet this is the quiet section of the library and I saw these people in like and I date myself but I'm sure they dress the same way mm-hmm. you know in those I what were they wearing like sweat I mean they, they would just like wear they sweat, wore sweatpants and, it, and when we were caps. in co- no, we were in college joggers got really big do you remember what you know a jogger is? Oh, those like sweatpants that got really narrow around the ankle? Yeah, really slim kind of sweatpants with that anklet kind of. And that was unisex. Yeah, women, I mean, it's just a sweatpant that's like, has a, I guess a more, well, baggy's becoming more popular, but it has it's like a, a slimmer silhouette. It's a big shame because, yeah, no, it has a big silhouette and, and it just makes you anonymous. <laughs> well, I was talking about joggers having a slim silhouette. Yeah, they look so bad. Joggers or baggies? Joggers. Okay, like, good. Because I me, came over to your house wearing baggy sweatpants the other day, and I was. I mean, baggy sweatpants are cool because it reminds me of watching like an old skateboard video of like you know Rodney Mullen or yeah. Or, he looks well. He wore baggy cargo pants mostly, I think. And they looked really cool. Yeah, and they still. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed the look. No, um, I, you know, I wore my ba- my baggy sweatpants are, are for comfort alone. Um, if you can get into that, I mean, to be honest. <clears throat> It's not for public wear. I wouldn't wear it like to go to the grocery store, I don't think. But no, here's what I think is actually interesting. And uh-huh. I don't know if this is just true OCD quirk coming through, but I don't feel comfortable wearing baggy clothes because it makes me feel like an amoeba. <laughs> you know, like the, the thing is, it's, it's, it's society's 
judgment on you know, baggy clothing in it within the within the domestic sphere like within within my private life i like to wear like a you know a, a, a nice pair of levi's that has a little bit of uh, spandex in it yeah i wear i would say i probably wear looser fitting clothes actually if i'm if i dress nice i wear slim fitting things like i acknowledge that there is a i like the silhouette of tailored clothing more than but if i'm hanging out <clears throat> i wear pretty baggy clothes um which says that you have what I would call the inner advocate or uh, something inside of you that's okay, that's okay not feeling. Like my grandma always said, like, um, it's, it's not about, like, if you look good, you'll feel good. And it's not about comfort. It's not about the comfort of the clothes. It's about the way they look. And she was in the apparel industry. Mm. And I, I actually think that that's... Um, Actually, just a horrible way of of, of seeing things. If you there, look good, you'll feel good. Like just that that sense of, but but that's just a sign of the times, and that's the way that it was. It was about getting dressed up, and mm -hmm. making a statement mm -hmm. uh, a t a, a, about your worth as a person attached to the effort that you make, sartorially. Well, I I want to take a step back on that because there is like a the faulty misconception because we've increasingly become a casual culture this is why you see um there's a rise in like high sartorial like young young men are becoming more interested in suiting and like or like wide lapels and oh like the mras what's mra oh men's rights activists <laughs> yeah do they dress up oh i always thought that when i saw a nice nicely dressed male i thought he was part of some sort of movement they got beards the amount of times i've seen on the internet not that i go out searching for these things but if like a celebrity grows a beard, like there's a headline. It's like people are going crazy over such and such quarantine beard. It's okay if you search for that. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't, but like it's Keanu Reeves, for instance, I search for that. Well, here's the thing, actually, when I like discover a new actor that I think is cool, maybe the second search I'll do is beard. Yeah, like Kyle Chandler beard, just to see like if he can grow a better beard than me. And like also, like part of it's like okay, either he looks good, or a I look better with him if I grow my beard out, or c we both don't have very good beards and we can do it in solidarity. Um, yeah, like do do you actually think that do do you think that growing a good beard is a sign of status? Does it elevate your your personal self worth and self image? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I the thing is, it's like grass is always greener. But, there, like, if you could, for instance, would you feel that you were a better-looking person uh, if you could I think, beard? actually, yeah. I think if I could grow, like, a, like a Jack Johnson-esque beard. Yeah. We love Jack Johnson, by the way. Yeah, we do. If I could grow a beard like Jack Johnson, 100%, I'd feel much better. I'm happy with, you know, I'm not, this isn't a complaint, but I'm saying, like, you can't say, to have his hairline and to walk around with that strong of stubble. Yeah. Kind of picking up the thread from last time. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, maybe maybe there's continuity there, but also there's maybe a problem we need to move on. But that's the thing. I don't think we can move on. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be cyclical. I think every episode will always have kind of something. <laughs> It'll touch on... To do with on, hair. <laughs> hair. Yeah, I mean, it's a neurotic thing. But Jack Johnson, for instance, like, you have to... Like, John Hamm has to feel like an alpha male with that beard. I don't even know. I don't think I've seen John Hamm with a beard. Because I'm so it's, out of the loop. It's startlingly like it's it's startling how 
how full and thick it is. You know, I had read somewhere when they were filming Mad Men that they had to shave his face like three times a day. For one, that's horribly irritating. I feel violated personally. Yeah, but like, that's how hairy and manly John Hamm was. I kind of still is, but like he was in a Disney movie where he went to India to find a baseball pitcher. It was based million dollar arm, maybe. I think it was like a million dollar baby. No, that that's a Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> I think it's about boxing. I don't watch them. Yeah, well, honestly, today I woke up this morning and I was, uh, well, I was looking at some maps and I, 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 it's it's astonishing how geographically ignorant I am mm-hmm. of the Eastern world, particularly Eastern Europe. Like, because I was reading about Armenia. And I was reading about like the spread of um, culture in Armenia, and then I was like, Armenia, where is Armenia? Similar geographic ignorance in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got off the plane in uh, the JFK airport, I think. Yeah. And there was some. There, there was, there was some terminal. I think people were going to Accra. Like A C C R A. Have you heard of this place? <laughs> okay, so my... And then I think I saw an ad for it oh, briefly gosh. after, because you know how when you learn something... Yeah, Google uh, learn. Google knows. Well, yeah, I mean, they Google knows, something. but also just even before Google, like, you'd, you'd learn what, like, an MR2 spider was, and then you would see one on the road, even though it's a rare car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I liked cars as a kid. Well, but, I mean, it's fine. I yeah, know, it's okay. It but, gives credence to the simulation theory. Well, yeah, there is a simulation, but this was not. This was one of those non-simulation moments of of chagrin where I like my thought was like, are they making new places? When I I saw this like Accra and then I got off the plane, I was like, I asked my friend, like, do do you know about this place? And he's, uh, you know, he's a policy scholar and he's, you know, does foreign affairs. And he's like, well, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes like you know you, that's one of the good things about getting older is that it, it it who cares if you look like an idiot well was he he wasn't judgmental was he no no he wasn't and that's, that's I mean he understood that him. you didn't yeah like, no there was but a the reason. thing is but, but before I would have felt like he thought less of me but it's a he, he of course not like now I, it's it's about my level of comfort and in, in my own ignorance and now I, I love being ignorant yeah it's it's just it's an opportunity to learn. Ignorance is an opportunity. Teachable to learn. moment. I think that's fair. Um, you, you spend a long time um, as a young man being, and you know, you're still there. I'm still there, but being self-conscious about being ignorant, especially around your friends when they say something like the prevalence of the smile and nod, or like the the mm. the, the silence. So so you seem like you kind of understand, or you you seem like you can. Kind of find your place within what they're talking about. That silence is um, is horrible, and it's a, it's a liberating moment when you realize. One thing that's really cool is when someone's like, "Hey, so you know this such and such," and you're like, "No, actually, I've never seen it, or I've never listened to it." Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, of course you've seen the Shawshank Redemption. It's like, no, I actually, no, I actually haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. That's a lie because I have seen the Shawshank Redemption. But Me too. I used to say it was my favorite movie though, and that was a lie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would... I mean, it's not, not that it's a bad movie, but... It was just one... I, there was a period... You just knew that people liked it, and you would say... Well, it was number one, I believe, on IMDb's top 250. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think like the Matrix is on that top two fifty list. So I think you I know, love the Matrix. I've never seen it, so I just made. You haven't it. seen the Matrix? Isn't that something? I made a joke about a movie that I haven't seen. Well, I was. I, I guess I'm. Too. I'm still. I'm still trapped in it, but I'm. I'm trying to break free. But yeah, I haven't seen the Matrix. I think you'd like it. It's. It's a beautiful movie, and I think that I was inculcated with the idea that it was a good movie by a friend of mine uh, who was talking about how profound it was, and I, I agree. I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. I think that the the. I think that that movie got a bad rap because of it. the sequels. Yeah, the, I think the sequels people hate, but I think the first one people love. They're bringing it back, evidently. See, now that's a shame. Like, we should just... I, I think they're... Why can't we make new stuff, you know? This is my whole thing with... Yeah, this is my whole thing with... with I'm trying to say this in a way. Why can't we make new stuff? That's a good, that's a good question, and I think that's the whole, the whole dilemma with, with all things. It's like, especially... You know, it's it's du jour to um, make uh, spiritual sequels or um, you know recreate or continue a story. You know, Star Wars, etc. Um, everything's getting a remake, Ghostbusters, all these things. And mm-hmm. you you do wish, and and Disney actually is a big like they did Mulan this year, and they're like making live action adaptations yeah. of all of the movies that we grew up watching. Um, I believe you. Yeah. The problem is this: it, it, it cheapens it cheapens the source material, and it, it mm-hmm. it's it's lazy and it's. I um, my interlocutor is wearing a really cool shirt right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you want to just talk about the shirt? Yeah, this shirt says "Grateful Dad," um, and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. There's no advertisement money. Um, Life is good. Grateful Dad. Um, it was a gift from from. Um, it's, it, it was a gift uh, because you know my, my wife and I are expecting a baby in, in um, about four four months, so um, he got me this this excellent Grateful Dad shirt because we we saw it on a video. Um, there was a really cool bit, drumming video, um, oh, yeah. and there was a dad playing the drums, and his shirt was it was a different printing, but it was a Grateful Dad shirt, and it's 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 kind of. Uh, it's stuck with me since then, since finding out about that video. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm grateful to be wearing it, and I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, really cool. I'm 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 really glad uh, that we we both enjoyed that video enough to remember uh, that Ooh. that's because it's a really cool pun, if if nothing else. That's the thing. Even if you're not a Grateful Dead fan, I'm not. No, you're not. Truth, you like a few of their songs. Well, I really like the Cherry Garcia ice cream. And that I like the legacy really of Jerry Garcia. Yeah. And truthfully, I love the logo with the teddy bears, the tie-dye teddy bears. Yeah. But I could it's never cute. I could never wear it because people would think I'm... Not that it's bad to like the Grateful Dead, but people would just make that kind of... I'm a deadhead, you know. Yeah, and then there's a point in your life where you hear one of those songs. Like, you hear a Grateful Dead song, and you're like, wait, who's that? And then... Well, that's the Grateful Dead. And you're like, oh, okay, I get that. And I feel like there's, in the spirit of the remake that we were talking about before this, um, yeah. I think that I find I, I find myself discovering a lot of old stuff right now that I didn't get when I was growing up. And I think part of me is like, okay, well, I just didn't get it because I was too young. But then I think the other part of me is as I get older, I need content that makes me feel like less of a stranger on the planet. Yeah, you know, and and the stuff that I can relate to, and a lot of that's just older stuff, and that's just maybe it's that's fine. just my thing. I just like older stuff, but also I would like to, 
Um, I would like to be excited. I'm excited about some new stuff, but really not. Uh, I'm pretty much out of the loop. Mm-hmm. And like you, you tell me about all those movies that they're remaking. I really don't follow it. I don't know which movies are coming out anymore. Yeah, well, I don't see them. No, no, isn't it, like, isn't I'm not even aware. Like, how yeah. do you find well, that's, out? Well, that's about a beautiful it? place to be. I, I, that's that's the kind of ignorance that we were talking about earlier. That's the opposite of it, where you're like willfully ignorant, not so that you can learn, just because uh, you know. Well, I'm learning other things. Yeah, exactly. You're replacing it with something more substantial. But isn't it weird to just live so separate? Well, I mean, it's cool. It's cool that I didn't know who Billie Eilish was until like two months ago. Um, yeah. And I found out that she does a song that goes do 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 do. Do you know that one? No, but it sounds good. <laughs> I don't know if it's. I mean, and then I saw her on. Um, I was at a. My wife was watching um, Carpool Karaoke with uh, James Corden. Yeah. And he had Billie Eilish on. Um, yeah, I saw the Stevie Wonder one. I see. I'm out of the loop. That's the only. That's like maybe the, one of the only segments of that show I've ever watched. Yeah, I mean, it was cool that he played the, the cat in that movie. No, see, that's not cool. <laughs> but it is cool to, like, know. I think it is. I think I'm in a nice place where I, I'm in, a, I, I'm, I, I'm in my You're zone. Too. I'm in my lane. I'm, where I know about some movies that are coming out, but I'm not going to go see them. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like um, that many movies. And I've, I've recently come to the realization that I also don't like television. Okay. Uh, what what don't you like about television? Well, I hate binge watching. I hate binge culture. And I know you just told me earlier that you binge a show, so I hopefully don't. That I mean, I also just like drank six beers last night, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not happy about that either. I mean, it's it's really the same thing for me. Yeah, binge binge. I just don't like binging. Um, not because I feel like I'm I'm better than those that binge, but I think there's something about the 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 di- just sitting in front of a television like that and just like it's like. It's like you're pulling a crank, like a casino, where you're like, they don't need, it's like skip intro, play the next episode in 30 seconds. Something about that bothers And it's a lack of patience. It's like everything has to be resolved, or everything has to land in a particular area, or a particular cliffhanger, whatever. Um, so you have to watch the next yeah. the next uh, episode, or whatever. So I don't like that. I, I, I think I've kind of appreciated a sense of pace. I love a slow burn. I really do like a slow burn. Um, so I don't like that, and also I just don't have the patience uh, for. Isn't that interesting? I say I love a slow burn. No, yeah, I was just thinking because I, the the thing is, it's what, mechanistic, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think when you say you like a slow burn, and correct me if I'm wrong, but does this have anything to do with getting into the groove and getting into the pace of a long movie, uh, for instance, where your the pace of your brain actually can slow down and relax into the movie. Yeah. And you can actually, you can keep the pace of the film. Uh, Like, I like a slow, I can watch a three-hour movie because my brain just kind of slows down. And it's already slow to begin with. You can tell by the way I talk. But, Mm -hmm. like, it's it's intuitive to do that. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's one thing I I, I seek in a movie. And that's maybe why I don't like a lot of movies is, is... and that's not to say that I like only like art house movies or anything like that. Like one of my, you know, some of my, fa- you know, some of my favorite movies are, are are anything but, you know. I love you, man. Yeah, Dan in real life. I love you, man. Yeah, some of the greatest. Um, yeah, you know. Can, gonna, can, can we just can we just mention? Um, 
I'm I'm blowing it right now. What's the name of that movie? Uh, Jeff who lives at home. Yeah, I mean those those are those. That's are, one of the best movies. Is that an art house movie? Should be. It, uh, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it is as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I live in an art house and I play that movie. So. Yeah, I, I play that movie often. Well, I mean, again, even though we don't remember the title, but <laughs> we, we're, it's always streaming. Uh, it changed my yeah. But well, no, that so it's not to say that I like, it, but I do like this loss of self in the movie in some capacity, like. Yeah. I, I like enough distance where I can still appreciate that it's a movie, and I like enough of. I don't like the the just the. I don't even know where I was going with this. We were talking about. Well, no, you're saying that it's weird that you like a slow burn. Oh, but yeah. You can't. You don't have the patience. Well, I don't have the patience for the mechanism and the and the the. So you just don't like it. It's not your Jason taste. Bateman is going to do this at the end of the episode. It's going to be like a shocker, and then you're going to. I hate that. Your mouth's going to be agape, and then you're going to want to click the next one, and then like, you know, it's this weird it's kind disrespectful. of disrespectful. It is disrespectful. I mean, think of it like this: one of you know, great television shows, The Sopranos. Um, the television, sh- The Sopranos, um, did have those episodes where you say, "Whoa, I wonder what's going to happen next," but they were juxtaposed with almost slice of life. Episodes, yeah. episodes where the mundane seemed interesting. Yeah, like the characters were dynamic enough where you were invested in. You were almost invested more so in the family dynamics of the Soprano household, mm-hmm. the relationship between Tony and his wife Carmela, than you were necessarily the unfolding drama of the underbelly of crime. And that's the stuff I'm interested in. I like them both. They complement each other, and I love that complementary relationship. But when a program is just kind of fixated on this drama is going to present itself in this way and we maybe have a few threads pulled in other directions, but Mm -hmm. we're going to suck you in in this kind of linear narrative over this. It just seems inauthentic to me. And I I just, it doesn't read like, it doesn't feel like a story. It feels more like a, like a product. No, and that's the thing that kills me. And it's, it's a product that like, this is something that I can't believe I was criticized so heavily for making I, I don't know I've been referred to as like an anti-tech type of person but yeah. I, that's not true at all I yeah I mean tech. our first episode oh yeah fair enough like, and, go back to it yeah yeah but okay but the thing is I am just noticing that we commodify each other and then okay I, I'm just I'm not even going to go there Where our attention is being manipulated as you say and one thing that really bugs me is a lot of my favorite shows are turning into this Contentless, storyless, arcless uh, amoeba that just has a bunch of different plot lines, mm. and then or like a bunch of different uh, d- d- uh, d- uh, um, diffuse events, and then at the end of the episode, it's like, oh yeah, and here's a little uh, semblance of a narrative, so you're going to be uh, drawn into the next one. And one one mm-hmm. example that actually bums me out. Is, and, and maybe this is controversial, but Better Call Saul has become that. Uh. And the thing that bugged me about that was I, I thought that Breaking Bad, because of how tightly woven that narrative was and like yeah. how self-referential it was, yeah. it was everyone talked about how, how it was a new uh, realm of television. Yeah, it was. And that was really fun. I really enjoyed watching it because well, I could get with them. But I just want to tell you why I don't like where Better Call Saul is yeah, going. Yeah, sure. I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I have to note, I have, we have to note that I'm not, um, I'm not a huge Better Call Saul head, so I don't no, have No, but like, I, you'll, you'll be but able I to do tie th- this to so many yeah. different shows. 
And like I'm just particularly surprised it's happening. It's on a this it's one. a type for other programs. Yeah, yeah, like like Netflix has an algorithm. And yeah, for sure. You can just tell. Okay, but Better Call Saul is like what they did was what the Lost folks did, and I guess that was a controversy that show Lost, where the writers came up with all of these different divergent um, ends mm-hmm. that they never were they they never particularly planned on tying back. Yeah. And eventually they said, oh, and it was all a dream, and they used a cop out. And to me, that's just like, I think it's. That really bugs me. It's dishonest, and it, it played with our attention, and you tugged at our heartstrings, and you didn't feel it was your, then your duty to create some sort of deep, uh, edifying, or at least interesting mm-hmm. narrative. And like Better Call Saul now, it's just bullet points. And then at the end of yeah. every episode, I'm like, dude, it takes so long for the next season to come out, and there are only a handful of episodes per season, mm-hmm. of which, you know, it's like an hour per episode. And... The, the, they haven't advanced the plot in like two solid seasons. Instead, they're coming up with new plots that I'm like, okay, well, this this whole like this would be an interest Lalo story. Like that would be an interesting story on its own. But like, let's 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 make a show. Like let's like stick to stick to one story and have interesting branches that eventually culminate in one world with 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 some narrative yeah. and system of logic. See, I like. Loose ends. I love when you finish a, a program. It depends. Because on the one hand, I want to just quickly, an aside, is like, I like when programs, t- television, I, well, not programs, I like when shows... And they're movies, programs. Yeah, I know, but that makes it feel like they're tracked. And sometimes they are, but I don't want it to be like that. But I was going to say, like, I like when they're self-aware. So, like, a, a show that's aware that it's kind of saccharine and kind of goofy and silly like a, a feel-good show you know like yeah like the good place um, yeah like, i loved that show well it's, it's a self-aware it, it knows what it is and and that's that's fine but I, what i don't like about these shows that present themselves as kind of this dramatic like break in television that are mechanistic and manipulative in a way in which it's not creative i like when things are self-aware and aware of their ends and their i love when things don't have a neat ending but I like them not having a neat ending to have made sense. Because the thing is, when you pull on a bunch of different threads and you have a whole bunch of different things at the end of a show that never get wrapped up, there's two ways that it can be cut. One, you can say, oh my gosh, well, I wonder what happened to this, and how did that play into that, and how did this play into that? Or mm-hmm. the show can become, a la lost, that discombobulated kind of mess. And I love when the conversation just begins when you're done watching a show or a movie. I love when you're able to yeah. watch it. And, and this is a great like a serious man. Is that fair? I think that's absolutely fair. Well, that's, that is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the Book of Job. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, but, but I think it made... Well, well that, I that think was a random topic. But no, like, it wasn't. It, it, it made wasn't. me feel that way. Well, well, well. And that's I think that's it's good because that's probably what the they they wanted to do the the, the directors of the movie um, I think that's that's a great aim is to have like to that be the end goal of what you're creating mm-hmm. uh, and this is a great loss in the the, the kind of the advent of streaming the streaming world is that everything is so digestible so it has to be so quickly digested because they know that right after right after the episode you have to go to the next one 
Yeah. And you haven't processed it, so you forget the entire season. Remember when you used to be younger and then, like, on there were TV digest things in the checkout lines at the grocery store? And they had on them, like, what's going to happen next? I mean, they're probably soap opera based, but, like, what's going to happen next to Veronica? Like, or, like, what's going to happen next on um, this, on to Tony Soprano or whatever? Yeah. You had a whole week to talk about it, like, at work with your friends. Or your coworkers, or or you know, talk, call your friends up, or whatever, or you even watched it with friends. People would get together and they would watch TV shows, and they were able to kind of theorize. And there, I I I miss the drama of like Breaking Bad's a great example because it premiered in real time. Oh, the great conversation! Like you, great, you could great stay up late at night having hours and hours of great conversation about that show. And 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 everyone's points are taken well because they're not immediately resolved in the thirty second click to the next episode. Yeah, I mean, I would say, and I'll just, I did binge Breaking Bad, but the thing was... You're not supposed to tell me that, though. I'm supposed to pause right there and to just have, like, that... Or the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think we... Just to, to tie up what I said earlier, I just want to say that I'm not saying that I don't like loose ends and, and uh, like ambiguous endings and ambiguous plot uh, lines but what really does bug me is when you can you can kind of tell that you're in a writer's room and you're trying to fill time and you can tell that the episode itself is empty and devoid of plot and like like for instance like with the lost thing I mean it was really just okay we have one more we have we got renewed so let's come up with more stuff Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's kind of cruel to put people through this random anti-plot, and then at the end of the episode, it's like you need to watch the next episode because somebody is hanging from a cliff, or like, yeah, like literally right. something right. that stupid. I think that we're in some sense. I don't. I'm. I don't. I like shows that don't have plots. I like. I like some things that don't have like a strict. But plot. like, what if it? Like, what if it starts with a plot? Yeah, see, that's the... And then you can tell... Like, uh, what I'm saying is I have a strong intuition on certain shows that the writers are no longer invested in... in Yeah, I mean, and and you will sometimes hear that, like, especially long-running shows, you'll say, well, someone will say season five and six are good because the main writer left, right? And then they try to pick up the pieces and introduce these new characters. I think that's true. I like things... It goes back to what I said, kind of about being self-aware, aware of the project. And if you go in with this, mm-hmm. this, this show is about characters, and yeah. we're not going to necessarily be focused on the dynamics of the plot. We're going to let them unfold, unfold, you know, in the study of these characters. Let's just say that. Um, and you follow that thread with continuity, um, you're going to likely have a watchable show or movie or whatever. Um, but you know, if you go in, we're going to make this movie about zombies, and then you. There end up being space aliens and so on and so forth. By season four, things are lost. Everyone's confused. Yeah. 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 Then we're on the same page. Okay. I, I think I think there's I think there's yeah. agreement. I mean, we could rattle off a bunch. No, of I mean, I I just wanted to I wanted to make sure that we were not talking past each other on that because I think there is a distinct distinction. I'm gonna go get a Duvel. Do you want? No, no, because I I gotta drive. This is the same exact. Have you ever had one? Oh, wait, this is just the standard one. Yeah, this is just a Duvel. It's just canned. But it's so much cheaper when it's canned. Yeah, well, the glass bottle looks really cool. 
and it, yeah, it's, it has a different shape to it, and it has a different type of cap, and I wanted to love the cap. Save the Duvel cap. The first time I had a Duvel was in uh, Baoui. I was in Paris, France. Paoui? Baoui. Yeah. You know, that's how you, they say it, right? Yeah. Baoui. I didn't, I was I was going to the, the market to get dinner supplies because I was in an apartment, and um, I got a Duvel against better, I mean, it was cheaper there. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, I got a Duvel, and the first sip, I, I said, this is really creamy. And that's the first statement that you want to have when you have a beer or really anything you want to say this is creamy this is creamy. <laughs> we've always liked cream creamy yeah. and smoky creamy and smoky if you could have just like the some cr- smoked salmon or smoked whitefish ideally yeah i mean i'm if someone gives me smoked salmon am i gonna i'm not gonna slap it i'm not gonna slap it away no 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 i mean i'm just saying smoked whitefish i mean ideally. we've talked about wanting to get smokers i, I mean i want a smoker like i just want to figure out how to do it in the most natural way and and I know that it's probably there's something about there's something about health with that like somebody I know got that fluid that's like you know liquid smoke mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's fine but I'm uncomfortable <laughs> yeah yeah that's like you just got a smoker and I think it's like got it at Kmart and like Kmart obviously like can't even look after its own uh, everything <laughs> so yeah. it's like well yeah it's just plastic it's, it's like that Tim and Eric video where it's like it's real food. And, and I haven't seen that. These remember those little easy bake ovens? Oh yeah, of course. And it, it, it was, I think it was a spin-off of that and it was just making fun of how it's like spoof or, or like some silly word mm-hmm. and they would just it, it would just be like this like addictive paste that kids would drink or yeah, something well, like the, that. The, the, yeah, I mean the, the the easy bake was just like pretty much all sugar, right? So I, like, I don't know. Is sugar with a little bit of just like xylitol, maybe, and like <laughs> just, just uh, radiation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was. But Nuclear it was, waste. I just recall it. I remember. I think my wife said one of her sisters had an easy bake, and then one of her other sisters ate all the sugar packets from the easy bake. Oh yeah. Um, my brother had an easy bake growing up. Oh yeah, my sister had one. And I found out I played with dolls. This podcast is over. <laughs> You played with what? I played with dolls. My mom told me I uh, played with dolls, and I think it was, I think it, when she found out I was going to be a dad, I think that was like, well, yeah, you, you know, you played with dolls as a little boy. Huh? Yeah. I don't, I don't recall that, and I, I think that's a good thing that I played with dolls, because um, I love kids, and I love, uh, love babies, and apparently I love dolls, or at least at the time of my life, I love dolls. Yeah, I mean, there's something I really, in, unless I'm interrupting you, there's no. kind of a segue that I want to make, because there's something I really want to ask you about, if you don't mind. Like, I, I, I do think that finding your true um, like partners, almost like your angels on earth, like you're finding your tribe, what, whatever word you want to use, uh, there is a difference where in, in you, you knew it when you were in kindergarten and you know it now and, and you'll know it tw- you know, 20, 30 years from now, hopefully, where I am in a room and this other person is is emitting certain frequencies that I'm picking up and like we're yeah. on the same wavelength. Oh yeah. And that's something that you can deny in I think it's adaptable to to deny in certain parts of your life where it's hard to connect with people and you need to kind of numb yourself and 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 search for the connection, but in the end I think that a connection is a connection and you can't force it. And it's just, it's a very real thing. I think that's 100% true. 
and I, I reject none of that, but I want to say this. I think some of the most profoundly challenging and, and yet most profoundly human moments are when you're placed in a situation where you have no connectivity with someone and you have to deal with that. Like, like your family. I mean, you have like a common there, but like your sister or your brother or whatever, like living under the, a roof with someone that you don't really get to choose. Like, you know, our fetish... Um, our fetishization of choice and our idea that we, you know, we're kind of the, you know, the masters of our own destiny, and we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna have children here. We're gonna get married here. We're gonna move in together here. We're gonna I'm gonna be hanging out with this person. There's something crazy and real and true and beautiful and good about like. Okay, he and I actually don't get along that well, but I'm going to find something good in him. And we are going to make that work so as to bring about a greater sense of connectivity. Like that is more challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so authentic. This is, that's not to denigrate those great and beautiful, very human and necessary connections that one has to have. But, mm-hmm. um, but it is to say that the challenge of finding common ground um, is, uh, is the most is one of the most authentic things that that uh, that I think anyone can can experience, and I think it's something that's that's becoming increasingly increasingly elusive. Um, well, I think a lot of the low hanging fruit, like the things that make us that the threads that connect all humans, are being forgotten about. I think that's true, and because like like simple proximity, for instance. I mean, mm-hmm. like just having lived in a few different places and connected with people who are just, you know, vastly different. Like I, I was talking to somebody recently and I was like, yeah, you know, my, my friends who are in their forties and fifties mm-hmm. say this, whereas my younger friends say that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, maybe this was being self-conscious, but I just felt a little bit, bit, bit of like incredulity. Like he's not friends with people who Literally. are that old. Yeah. And the thing is, well, well why not? No, I, I, I am because I, because I, I, I do connect with people who are interested in just like having very raw emotional conversations about our motivations and mm-hmm. um, the way we feel about certain stimuli, just like on a very basic like bacteria. Like if we were just like single celled organisms, like mm-hmm. what what makes us similar? Will our circuits fire in, in, in a certain capacity when we when we both see this at the same time? Like. I definitely like connecting with people from vastly different backgrounds. Um, yeah. On, on that, on those types of. Wow, I've never had to say the plural of basis. Is it bases? I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, dumb. In any case, I wouldn't know how to say it. Well, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. So, like, I had a friend, for instance, uh, who who took me to lunch. He's really busy at work, and um, he and I differed had had differing values in certain areas, mm-hmm. like around ideas of like intellectual honesty and stuff like that. Yeah, professional honesty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine to say. No, but like, yeah, I mean, we he he cared more about like getting ahead, maybe. But here's one thing that. So this is an example of like a clear clash of values. Like you say, like between, suppose like you and your brother, they just have fundamental disagreements, mm-hmm. but you have, 
okay, so we, the, I'm, this is my coworker, and he's older than I am, and we have different values. He could choose to just totally reject me as a human being. But instead, um, we went to lunch together one day, and he was describing to me um, his involvement in the community. And he was describing to me his life and how he had been in the military and um, had a disability which prevented him from continuing to rise the ranks right. and, and had to reassess his life um, and got married to a woman who was convenient, maybe, like yeah. who was just near him, that kind of thing. And he said, man, like what you really got to do is you really need to start a family and you need to get involved in like your church or your temple and you need to participate in group activities and you know become a leader in your in, in your little community just just get out there mm. and make a family and then extend that family a little bit beyond your nuclear family and that's where you're you're, you're happy and I, I'm, I'm butchering it because I don't know what I'm talking about mm -mm. and I'm self-conscious now but like that I really connected with. You agree with it? No, I'm just saying that, like, that was an example of, like, something that he said really resonated with me. And he basically said what you just said, which is that the challenge of, of creating a life with someone who you don't necessarily know. It was like, it was an interesting meta moment because he, he, he decided to have lunch with me, even though our values were different. Yeah. And I mean, I also decided to have lunch with him and we really connected and we were building a community right then and there, right then and there, even though it was a lunch community, it was still a community yeah. nonetheless. And it was a small town too. So it was just like, you know, it, if just, I see him at the grocery store, it's going to feel good. Yeah. And I, I, I think like the idea that he was getting across was like a certain sense of neighborliness. And I, I think that that's a virtue that we've completely lost. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my 75-year-old neighbor the other day about this. And, like, just how the tendency to, like, text the landlord before yeah. you knock on the door and say, hey, you know, your music's Isn't a little bit too loud. I'm just like, that, like, that's like, we've, we're at the end of the road here. Like, this is, this is where the thing that got humans... To evolve to the place where we are now was cooperation, and now we can't even cooperate enough to like exist in the, on the same like acre plot of land because somebody's music's too loud, and you're too embarrassed to say, "Hey, look, you know, you like your music, but I like my sleep." You know, I'm I'm kidding, but like you know, yeah, just to I be mean, able to negotiate simple matters like that. Well, yeah, I'll turn my music two decibels down so that you can sleep. Because the yeah, the thing is, you know, any any reasonable person apologetic you know in that moment but the text from the landlord leads to indignation or like calling the cops you know sure like that kind of thing well it's it's the loss of community i think it's the you know it's like like don john dunn said you know no man is an island and you know that's kind of corny to say but i think it's profoundly true that like everything that anyone does that's meaningful is predicated on what's come before it and what's come before who you are as an individual and how you go about yourself and are your experiences and your experiences with other people and the loss of uh you know a sense of rootedness in one's family and the loss of community 
and mm-hmm. displacement has led to uh, the, the great sadness of people trying to live into a solitary existence. The thing is this, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll speak from what I know. You know, in, in a hermitage, it, it, you know, the hermits, monastic hermits that live alone and don't see people for some time, right? You know, in the early ages, maybe years, right? They were only able to become hermits because of mm-hmm. the families. Oh, yeah. that, that they grew up in or because of even the monastic communities they were a part of mm-hmm. that led them to be like and it's the same way but we we you know and that that's obviously kind of an extreme example but nevertheless like mm-hmm. you think of someone that is living in a solitary existence yet their solitude is in debt to those that shaped them is in debt to the communities that reared them is in debt to their families and when we try and sidestep and then kind of create weird solitary tribes mm-hmm. and we filter out you know uh, you know people that, that disagree with, with value systems and we, we're very very pejorative and easy the way in which we think about other people is as not individuals but as you know um, we almost place them in like little jingle, like their jingle blocks or their, their groups like you know this guy and I have a, disagree, a political disagreement and he therefore is other you know, or, or she is therefore um, not worthwhile. Uh, she's not someone I should talk to because she, you know, a picture service for her doing blackface 10 years ago. Um, that, that was like, that's a joke. But you, you get what I'm saying. It's like, mm-hmm. not like, you know, cancel culture or whatever, but like, you know. No, we're, we're, we're unable to distinguish. Um, like, we think as soon as we have a disagreement with, with, with someone, that puts that person fundamentally at odds with me and I should not connect with them in any way. I should not, you know, stand in line behind them at the post office gracefully. Like I, it, uh, 100, well, it's, the, it's like, I should not be able to, I should not be able to like sit next to them at a stoplight. Well, it's beginning and it's, it's because it's, it's the elevation of the self, our most natural tendency, but it's the elevation of the self that manifests itself in that kind of pernicious Judgment, or I like that word, incredulity, like a sense of incredulity towards others, where you you are reading every situation as if you are living into a sense of supremacy in perhaps your value set, and not a supremacy that's known as supreme amongst others, but just like you are your own, and you're making these decisions. You're your own individual. It's solipsism. It is. A, it, it is, and I, I, I think that's the the challenge of, of late modernity or, or post modernity is. And maybe it's the challenge of human existence, but even greater now is is the solipsistic tendency to just yeah. relate everything to the self as if you and your concerns are paramount. And that is the single most troubling thing about um, about our at least in the United States. I think I think that especially our age group. Yeah, it's it sucks. It like it, it really do, like I was I was talking to my dad about this who and like I, I think that you know our parents had different experiences mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. yeah for sure oh, but, but, but at the same time like you know different ex- like my parents didn't have the same experience as your parents uh, that being said there were hardships that all four of them went through that oh, yeah. I can hardly imagine however they were alive you know right like they were they were doing this thing and I, I just remember, like, uh, my, my dad will just say, like, you know, 
we just didn't think so much. Like we just went out and we thought, oh, let's see what's going on here. You know, you go to work and then afterward, you know, I have this freedom and I'm just going to go exist in the world. I'm mm-hmm. young. I don't have any obligations. Mm-hmm. I'm going to exist in the world. And now there aren't like that many interfaces like that for meaningful cooperation and community. You said that the monk example was extreme, but I was actually listening to an Alan Watts lecture the other mm-hmm, night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was talking about the a number of different societies who um, would allow you to leave once you had done your part. Like how this was a common practice, particularly in India. Uh-huh. Yes, I was going to... I, I was going to correspond with that i'm familiar with yeah but like the, the the idea of like you know after you were i don't remember the words but after you were at a, a, a keeper of things after mm-hmm. you uh held down the fort and kept the society running you would actually go off and discover what you really were and like at that point you would need like even a guru to mm-hmm. or like a you know uh a shaman or what, what was yeah. some some sort of like spiritual leadership figure a sense of guide right a spiritual guide right because once you lose your sense of self he said you know you lose your scruples and you know you're, you're walking around you, you you're penniless probably don't have any clothes mm-hmm. um if there's a riot you're just going to run with them because you truly are just one with the you're you're a part of the scenery as, as peter yeah. gabriel said and that really cool that song with that really great time signature mm-hmm. um anyway um, i know exactly yeah yeah I, i'm not going to name the song but it's it's, it's a great song mm-hmm. and um people should be familiar yeah so that, that, like that's that's the thing, and he, he names a few other societies where it's just commonplace to basically understand, like, you are as I think as like the anarchist would call it, like, you are not your straw man, you know, mm-hmm. like your birth certificate with your name and, and, and your parents' expectations of you and everything. That's just like the world's projection onto you and your projection. This is like this feedback loop that's created between your surroundings and yourself, and. Like, yeah, I think it's really great that people can have the, the opportunity to, to exit that. But what's the point of exiting when you never did the thing in the first place? Mm-hmm. And now I feel like we're neither we're neither having the burden of, of coordination, social coordination, and, and like, so, like a community and society and state building. Mm-hmm. We neither have that burden, nor do we have like the burden and release of letting that go. Now we're just like, splintered off onto like a just you know the makeshift raft that's just like floating yeah. into the water and we're all on our little rafts like mm-hmm. polar bears and the ice caps that have melted you know like, yeah i mean just to tie that in yeah no i mean i'm not trying to be an active like i'm no, just no, saying I, that's what's happening it's like you're quite the, you're the, quite, the you're quite anti-activist in some sense what it's this yeah, is quite no, an anti-activist sentiment i feel like i feel like my because the ground that, that nourishes me, I feel like it has started to break down in a way that I'm just like floating off on my own. And I'm like, I'm happy to be the poster boy who just admits that like, you know, fuck it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with, with, with this degree of isolation and, and yeah. I could do better. I could do better and, and, and fix it, but you can't fix it. No, I mean, I could fix it for myself, but it's at the same not, time, I don't even think that's true. when I try, I just don't feel as connected as I'd want to be. I mean, I'm, I'm at the age where it's not like, I don't like to go out to clubs, you know? Well, yeah. And like, I, and, and, and pottery classes are contrived. You know, if I go to a pottery class, like, I don't know, I'm going to enjoy it because I want to learn pottery, but like, yeah, but then everyone there is, is 
doing the same thing. Like my, I had an ex who was like, "Yeah, I'm joining a, a kickball league," and I'm like, "Shit!" Like the the, the, the clock's ticking. I guess I'll play kickball. Well, yeah, I'll play kickball, and I'll like, dude, if I join a rec kickball league, that just shows me that. In a way, it's better than doing nothing, but at the same time, it's just, I'm not this ready to fall on my sword. <laughs> this isn't to say that anyone that plays rec softball. Okay, uh, I played rec- recreation softball. Um, in college. Yeah, but I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, like I'm talking about it's sad. Like, those people should have communities that, that, that were built. But what if they just love the game of kickball? Then they should play kickball because guess, guess who else likes to play kickball? My hand's raised right now. Yeah, I like it too. That's the thing. I have I always loved kickball. Kickball's a great, it's a great game. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't, what if we all join the kickball league because we love the game of kickball? Oh, I know. But then I would see, I know, I know this guy. But then you know. Because he's trying to meet a partner or he's trying to meet some friends. Sure. Well, I mean, you don't, I, I want to. No, you do, you do know it. You do know it. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I don't know. I I am I'm not a you know not I, I'm not an expert on this, but I want to say the whole thing's a joke, by the way. Yeah, the the traditional. I think it was you see, when you turned sixty four in India, you devoted the rest of your life to kind of asceticism, and and penance and prayer and whatever. Like I think that was in in traditionally in, in the Indian religion, because uh, it even corresponded to early um, Indian Christianity and maybe maybe Ethiopian Christianity as well. I mean, these are. This is a tradition that just spans so many different geographic regions and so yeah. many different religions and right, right. It's just well, something it's, it's, that was intuitive to a lot of people. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I'm actually like I, I'm against it in some in in. in well, I don't want to say that. Um, anyway, kickball sucks. I guess if you um, if you're doing it for friends. <laughs> But like, your kickball sucks if you're doing it for like one of those little kids. Isn't it sad yeah. though, because of the solitary existence that we have the expectation that, like, essentially you have till you're 24 to really like make friends. Yeah, um, and then like yeah. after that, it's just kind of a, eh, you know, it's just. Eh. But like, I really, but regardless, I keep on really wanting to get onto this topic that kind of makes are there topics that kind of make your hair stand on end that that kind of like expose a, a truth of existence that we forget about and it's like oh no this is serious like mm. um like what, what would that be i like jojo mayer's drumming for instance no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding but like uh like uh the idea of of, of dropping off the idea that so many of us are are, it's it's not just that we're isolated as individuals and we can talk about that and that's great and that has to, you know we can talk about social media but like even me saying social media it just sounds so watered down and it's right. just not exact and, and we just need to find what is like, social media yeah like that's that's kind of an elusive like yeah so like what's actually going on and and I like like for instance I think it's clear that why the the reason why there isn't good new shit coming out right now mm-hmm. is because of like the signal to noise phenomenon and because like information right now is free it's like Jaron Lanier but like inf- information is free and humans produce information that's what that's our value that we pose so if you make information free you make humans free it's informational inflation hmm. like I, I feel There's like too much we're, yeah like for instance like 
for three hundred for like five hundred bucks for like the car that I drive right now. I drive a Volkswagen Golf. It's about it's about eight years old, mm-hmm. and I love you're, it. And but you're you're due for a new car. Really? No, I just wanted to say that to see what your reaction would be. Sorry, go on. No, like, I, sure, but the, like it maybe in the seventies I'd be. But it's the, cool. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, I'm a. It's cool. What? That I drive a car that's thirteen years old. It's making me sad. Anyway. No, I mean, I I drove a car but before I before I drove this. The car I had was eighteen. To calling calling it a car is generous. You remember it? Oh, of course I do. It was, it was so, but this is horrible. <laughs> It's an awful car. I love that you're admitting that. Yeah, like, isn't yeah. it cool to ha- isn't it like cool to have have experience driving like a truly shit mobile? Yeah, like it's actually falling apart. There was like there was never a time I rode in that car where there wasn't a problem. <laughs> like something was just fixed, and then something else <laughs> happened. And then the yeah, or, or or something's fixed, and then it just reveals another underlying problem. <laughs> you know? Yes, it's like if you yes, you can fix it. But if you fix it, you're going to learn something that's not going to sit Yeah, well. exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, well, if you fix this, this will mess the radiator up. And yeah. If you fix that, that's going to mess the belt up. And then, and it's just, it's just, it was the ongoing, it was cyclical. Yeah. I mean, you ever go to like, you ever go to the mechanic and you realize the mechanic is a philosopher, like a, a modern day philosopher. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I was, I was dealing with my mom's car that had fundamental electric issues mm-hmm. like her friend had borrowed it had broken something and i guess you know well, what the, kind of what car was it it was a chrysler crossfire oh there's the problem the thing yeah because chrysler had partnered with mercedes and they had made a bunch of stupid design decisions that yep. were yeah i mean it just wasn't a car that was going to stand the road remember the it, sebring yeah <laughs> maybe one of the worst cars have in... you driven one no, it's just, it's just, again, this is me speaking about something I've never driven, but um, it's it's one of the most unsafe Ooh. vehicles. I believe the Sebring has horrible safety. It got bad ratings? Wait, I, mean, I, I mean, I know the PT, PT Cruiser got some of the worst. Oh my ratings. gosh, I just thought the, the Sebring, Sebring was, was I thought car. the Sebring was the PT Cruiser. Yeah, no, the, the Sebring is basically like. It's like a Camry. I am 75 years old, and I want to drive a fucking convertible, and I'm going to oh, do the it. Oh, the Sebring's... I'm, you know, the I'm, Sebring is like the this is touring gonna, convertible. So much editing. Um, yeah, no, the no, P, this the, is no, good. The PT Cruiser is... is It's like the ugly hearse. It's the compact ugly hearse that is a death trap. Yeah, and like the thing is, it would it would be one thing. If the interior was like really cool and like a London taxi and everything like that, but it's not. Oh, it's not. No, no, and and like you can you can get, you can get a really good one. Like go on KBB and see. Like okay, I have a I have a PT Cruiser. It's a two thousand eight. It's in excellent condition. Has eighty thousand miles on it. That's a fifteen hundred dollar car. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, how is that possible? Like, dude, you know. Well, like, because my my rent. Has been more than fifteen. But bucks. the thing is, when you when you buy that car and they hand you the keys, they say, "I mean, you know, like when you crash, you'll die." Yeah. Like, like you know, when you're buying, especially if you're on KBB, you know which you are. Yeah, you'll see the safety rating, and you'll know that okay, if I, you know, accidentally roll at a stop sign and I hit I hit a bus, I'm or I accidentally roll at a stop sign and then I hit someone on a bicycle. They're going to be fine. It's it, uh, my car's going to be total. 
<laughs> you hit a bicycle. I'll be yeah. paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah, right? it's you like know? the person on the bicycle at least is going to go flying and land in a bush. Like, it, I'm going to be in this death trap. Yeah, that's the thing. And the doors, they shut down and say, this is like, I'm sorry, <laughs> this is uh, Jeff from uh, Area 51. Uh, the Chrysler Crossfire has been engineered as a Darwinistic experience. I guess the, well, the Peachy Cruiser. Sorry, I meant to say the Peachy Cruiser. Crossfire well, sucks, I, I, but for different reasons. Yeah, but the Crossfire is at least fun to ride in. It's a powerful automobile, and it has some really quality parts of it, but it just didn't, yeah, anyway. Like, well, I the remember, thing with the PT Cruisers, they got lazy when they were um, manufacturing them, so when they were, when it came time for airbags, they just filled it with shrapnel. <laughs> from the previous PT <laughs> yeah, Cruiser that was from the pre- Yeah, exactly. It's just, this car was total, this is like... How can we repurpose this, the parts? It's like, oh... We made this car. We, we still haven't repurposed the parts from the other PT Cruiser. Let's just grind it up and put it in the airbags. It's actually really like they make pillows out of it, too. <laughs> it's like the dream sleep. Uh, no, it's, sleep. The my, it's the My Pillow guy. Yeah, it's the My Pillow guy. He sleeps on ground up fiberglass from a totaled PT Cruiser. Oh. It's like, this is the Virginia Highway Patrol speaking. Um, excuse me, My Pillow guy? Yes. He's like, we got. A pile up, two of which. <laughs> nay. Yeah, he just comes. That's like because he's so proud of manufacturing in the United States, which is a good thing. But like, like it's it's only because off the backs of horses. <laughs> back. And like, I'm sure they'd be glad that they were part of comfort. But it's like, you if you ever like actually tried to sleep in a my pillow, it's a pretty good pillow. Like, I've never had one, but I, I mean, I believe it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Here's I mean, the thing: my though. mom has one. Imagine it's a good like, pillow. imagine dying and like, like you're in the afterlife, and you look down and like you think, oh well, I was an organ donor. That's really cool. Maybe they used, you know, they get organs from car accidents, and then you find out that like your death because you evaded like a little girl crossing the street and you crashed into a tree. Your death is now helping someone sleep. <laughs> like if my death like somehow went to a my pillow that would upset me. It's it's like you just you're so we commodify one another mm-hmm. uh, emotionally and physically with these dating apps and just with the way that the information economy works right now. Like what if we commodify? I guess we do commodify corpses, but like something that brazen, like that that would be that would be just like next level. Yeah, I mean like that's like a that's like an extreme kind of example. I mean that would it's like. A, I mean, it'd be funny, like, you'd, you'd be having a beer in uh, whatever, the good place or the medium place or whatever it is. There's a medium place in the show? Oh, spoiler. Damn. No, I mean, but, like, to be honest, the medium place is... Wait a second. ...not a good place. So is there a great place, then? That's, is there, that's is there really... a place beyond the good place? I mean, you've already spoiled it, so you might as well. Like, no, it's... no. But, like, the point is that isn't actually the good place. Oh, the good place isn't the good place. No, it's hell. So, Christian Bell is in hell. Yeah. But it looks like it's good. Because they're coming up with a novel way of torturing, torturing people by like saying, you're in this really ideal community, and they're, they're basically giving these humans the ideal incubator to be at each other's throats, to, so to it is, highlight so it, all their, all their uh, biggest personal flaws and their fundamental... So it's kind of like a critique of like suburban life, almost. Yeah. So that means that Ted Danson is a demon. He is. Oh, that's really cool. Not, but then there. So I'm. So there is a. So the medium place is better than the good place, then. No, the medium place is bad place. It's like this. There's the. But the good place is a bad place. Yeah, but there is a real good place. Oh, so there actually is a real head. But like the real good place also sucks, like worse than the bad. Like it's it's a it's the the reality is like there are corny jokes and the acting is some sometimes iffy, but like. Well, I'll watch it with Ted dancing in it. 
So Ted Danson is such a badass in that show, and like he continues to be a a, a complicated character until the very very last scene. Oh, so the the show's over. Like, I believe, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I mean it is. So so, but there is a heaven of some sort. Yes, like there is the ideal resting place. And it turns out that that has been ill-conceived. Ill-conceived. Like, it turns out that it required a certain amount of uh, study of the human experience to design an afterlife. And that the the architects of of the Eternal have become too out of touch with... So, I mean, it's a governmental critique as well. But, like, they've become out of touch with human psychology. Mm. And they have designed... So, I understand why people like this show so much. That's That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you could... I mean, it's a feel-good show, but, like, that's really smart. I like that. It's a great show because it's feel-good, and it has value to to the casual viewer, to the family viewer. That's the thing. It's, it's a universal show. Yeah. It's like it, the... I hate, I hate saying this, and, and, again, we've got so much to edit, but don't... don't say it. The Office is one of those shows that is it's a universal program where yeah. everyone can find something good in it. Yeah, and this is... So here's where, here's where it is. I'm not saying The Good Place is on, on par with The Office or whatever, but... I've never seen. No, good. The good place is not as good as the office. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Yeah, I mean that's fine. I, I think the in it because the good place is explicitly deep. The office is a world unto its. Okay. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a real problem going on, um, with content that doesn't unify people. And and a, a, a girl that I dated for a little while, um, whom I have tremendous respect for and is an amazing person. It just didn't work out. You know. Mm-hmm. She made an extremely insightful point, as she often does, which is um, Tiger King was a show which unified America during an unprecedentedly dark time. Yeah. And it was an amazing thing because Tiger King now, in this like meme world where we're all in, imbued in this like oblique I- I- irony mm-hmm. uh, of the internet, mm-hmm. and we're all initiated into like the shit posting lingo and whatever. Yeah. We're just like, oh yeah, Tiger King's this like stupid, shallow meme bullshit. But the thing is, ten years ago, Tiger King would be like an a cult classic that like your intellectual friends would watch. Like, I think that's entirely true. Like like a very subtle art house documentary that delves into these deep human questions. So now, I actually think, and this is what she hinted at, and like what the point that she made about the good place. No, about Tiger King. No, I was going to say, I, I wonder if that would, if it was going to tie into oh, the show ties, like The Good it Place. It ties into The Good Place. Saying like 10 years ago, I wonder if The Good Place would have been yeah. a kind of television show. No, anyway, sorry. I mean, no, no, but that, like, that's another thing. But like the, the, the fact that during this COVID crisis where we're all isolated, this thing that has art house, cult, classic, intellectual, cerebral components to it, yeah, it's brilliantly made. As well, yeah, as well as the 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 you know, um, reality show, you know, Kardashian lurid. Uh, yeah, uh, it's got it all. Absurdism, like, yeah, it's got it all, and it united America. You know, because it, like it, it it had like an interesting statement on a, American culture, and like how why, I'm just thinking like the reason why we got Trump. And, and, and we're dealing with all this crazy stuff is like we weren't able to channel that like weird but but deeply human Americana I was going to say we're afraid of the we're afraid of the the messiness of, the, of, of, of what it means to be human 
I think Tiger King exhibits that where you can kind of feel a sympathy for like a bizarre man that's doing things that are immoral. Did you watch the show? I haven't seen all of the program yet. But like, have you seen... Have I'm saying you... Joe, like Joe Exotic, the character. Yeah, like, but you're aware of like his, his early story and uh-huh. like how he is a deeply... Troubled past? Yeah. And an abusive childhood? And he started or... off, he started off with a great deal of compassion for these animals, like, albeit like uninformed and like, you yeah. know, candidly said Loves to the camera... Yeah, he candidly said to these ca- the camera, like, look, I mean, these animals really belong in the savannah or whatever, like, on the, on the plane. Like, I, in any case, I... Well, yeah, yeah. The point is that it was a culturally unifying thing. This is not to say that he was a good man, per se, but it's just... You know, he's complicated. Exactly. Just like America. Like, he has, like, extremely violent, sociopathic, dark... I would just say, it just like humanity. America is an exemplified instance of that, but I just think that's true universally. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah, but I think America, particularly because of like the how new it is and how it was founded by, you know, rejects and and people who are persecuted and, and, and criminals and how we, the point is, you know, immigrants come in in the melting pot and all that rhetoric. Uh, it is this like dirty. The Amer- America the great experiment, right? Yeah, and there's something, there has to be something beautiful. Like, I, I personally see that America is like an empire at, at, at its late stages. Like, it, it's an upstart that, that had like a, a peak. And it's, an up, it's an upstart still. The people want to continue. They, America, I feel like, I'm, I'm having to cut myself off soon, but I feel like the American enterprise is just that. It's always going to be kind of this upstart it's always going to be in flux and there will never be we're always going to be content there's no such thing as it, it's it, in shorthand it's a static it's a static enterprise it just takes different shapes I think there's cultural regression but not significantly so like I think that in all of its forms people are still content to kind of be the reject and content to be Content to be kind of this this strange land, but we've lost the self awareness needed. Yeah. To, needed to 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 take that in stride. It's it's moved to a sense of, of supremacy that maybe America has had. Right, you kind of like that's a possible like America's greatest nation. Well, the world. thing is, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, what's wrong? Also, but what's wrong with saying that? I was what's what's wrong with saying that America has seen its, its no no I'm saying or... like no no no. I'm saying like it's poo poo to say like America's the greatest nation in the world, right? Like people will, and this is just us speaking, but people will will say, uh, yeah, that's such an ignorant thing to say. And it's like, but is it though? Like if I was a pro, like not not nationalism, you know, you can be wary of nationalism, whatever. But like it's like a lot of it is so privileged to be able to say that, to be able to say that, you lack self awareness. You have to fly at a certain distance. And like that that's it's that's, just so that's something that's so it's just so silly. It's so maddening that it's like I, I I was listening to a podcast recently where somebody was like, you know, a lot of the rich kids want to burn stuff down because they see they have a lot of privilege they didn't earn. And a lot of like you you a lot of legit personal legitimacy and the in the, the, the self uh, the self 
justifying story that, that we tell to ourselves. It, it has to do with like personal growth and struggle and, yeah. and striving to something. And if people were born without anything to strive to because they were already at the top, there's like a Kardashian-esque misery to it. You know? Yeah, I think that's fair. Or, or, yeah, so like, and, and a lot of our friends, because like both of us grew up in an affluent um, area, like a lot of our friends, they had a certain ennui that came from being at the very top. Mm. And and like it's it's just when you think about it, it's it's unpalatable to imagine like. If you're somebody like I had a I had a conversation with a, and this is the last thing I'll say it's fine. No, yeah. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was at the very top. You know, her her, her father was extremely successful in in uh, fi- financial services. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, he um, she was telling me like I just don't know what to. I just feel so guilty about where I stand and my privilege and all this kind of stuff. And I just don't know what to do with my life. And I was like, you know what I think you should do? I think you should level up. And I think you should raise your standards. You actually have the resources to change culture yeah. for half a century. Like you can do something in some sense that other people can't do. And why not do it? Yeah. Why not? Like, what? Because that's the way that you can be happy. Because the thing is that the, the thing is that you want to you want to paternalize the, the the poor, and you want to say, well, you know, it's it's unjustified that we have these gaps. But you talk to poor people, and a lot of the time they're striving for something, and they're too busy working to be unhappy like that. You know? Yeah. Like to be that existentially exhausted. So I'm like, well, why don't you raise your own personal bar? And maybe raise your own personal bar uh, in in the realm of doing good for the world. I was going to say, what if raising one's own personal bar doesn't mean changing the world in in a in a kind of this uh, magnificent or grand way? No, challenge yourself to to know. Challenge yourself to learn the things that those who struggled just just challenge know. yourself to just be a virtuous person. Yeah, and don't like. One, one thing that everyone can do is just don't even attach yourself to. If you feel guilty, don't attach yourself to one, don't attach yourself to your guilt, but don't attach yourself to some grand scheme or some grand narrative of what you could do or what you couldn't be doing. And don't kind of, I think if one just lives into, lives into virtue and lives into charity, um, that in and of itself is a more meaningful existence than... Uh, than most, and that's more meaningful than making a billion dollars. Uh, and that sounds cliche, but like it's true. Like that is, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I want to give an example, and we can close on it if you want. Yeah. But I was talking to a friend of mine at uh, in in a coffee shop in the in the Upper West Side of New York. So it was very, yeah. you know, you, you saw a lot of people who looked like they had less than they did. Yes, yeah, that's you know, a very a, beautiful way of saying it. Was, it. it was a very expensive place, and there were a lot of people who looked like they were trying to. It's uh, a strange phenomenon. Put on makeup to 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 give the aura that they had a, an existential black eye. It's like know? they are fasting and they try and look emaciated so people can know, or or no, no, not even that. It's like, um, yeah, yeah, that's that, that that's good. Keep keep going, yeah, yeah. And and they, they, so they were dressing up as the poor, and 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 then so I was talking to my friend about how, you know, they're, what what's the deal with, 
animal, like the, the, the variety of animal rights that is like anti-animal abuse, you know, anti-domestic, like anti-dog abuse, anti-cat abuse, that kind of thing that we mm-hmm. grew up with. That was seemed to be more common when we were young than it is now. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just because cable was more common and yeah. there were those, you know, those, commercials set, those the, the horrifying commercials. It's a good song, but it's a once a year song. It's, I don't like those commercials, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, we're, we're get, yeah, go on. No, but the point of that was, I was just like, okay, okay. so what's the deal? And my friend was like, well, well because the, the amount of human suffering that has come to the fore in, in you know, the recent decades, you know, since, uh, has kind of eclipsed that. And, like, maybe we can return to animal rights when we got human rights under wraps or like you know in in a more stable place and that's something that i have i used to be a lot more uh, i used to have like an uncharitable explosive reaction to that type of comment it's like you know animals are really important like you 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 can't you can't think about human rights with like to, to have to have the compassion requisite to think uh insightfully about human rights that has to apply to animals too like, I used to think that way, and I still do in some ways. But uh, he was like, well, no, it's just, this, it's just this bougie thing to, like, care about animals, to, like, this, like, wealthy suburbanite who, who's, like, you know, a housewife who, who, who thinks that it's her mission to save these abused animals. And the thing is, I was like, well, no, I mean, that's, that's somebody making an amazing thing out of her circumstances. I, I was like, going to say it, absolutely yeah. to say to speak to nothing of the, uh, you know, oppression of the the suburb the affluent suburban housewife. You know, like to, that, because that that is that is like a, a horribly, uh, isolating and 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 yeah, it certainly can be absolutely. It's it's, it's a hor- yeah, but it's yeah. What an I mean, just on the outset, what an arrogant statement. Well, no, but the thing is that comes from. And that is, the, the, I'm sorry. The, the irony of that is that comes from such an immense, that comes from such a grand pedestal, it comes from such a place of privilege. Yeah. And it's so divorced from reality, that it's offensive. That statement is so arrogant that I'm offended by it because it presupposes, for one, that we authentically care about other people, which I don't believe that we do in the way in which some that a statement mm-hmm. like that wants to make. But the reason it bothers me so much is because that's such a, that, this kind of ethereal, mysterious care that no one can really pin down has no authentic meaning because it's out there and it's at a distance and it's a way of distancing yourself from problems that are right in front of you. It's, and I, and I don't mean to hijack your example, but it, it, it's so troubling to me that people get worried, oh my gosh, there's this human rights violation going on in China. As they, in Soho, are walking by in their $250 Chelsea boots, past a homeless person, right there. And that they'll just ignore, flat out. Mm-hmm. The, the dissonance is grand. It's like, there's so much right in front of you yeah. that you have chosen to ignore because you want to be part of something greater. And in being a part of something greater, you're a part of nothing at all. Yeah, so they, they, exactly, exactly. I was going to say, well, what are you doing I, then? What are you doing then? So, like, in, in its stead, like, you choose, not to per, you choose not to participate in this, like, false virtue. 
Which isn't false, but yeah. No, it isn't false. Yeah, exactly. This is I some, mean, that's why I'm, like I'm saying, which, which I like. I am totally for the so-called, you know, like the real housewives of whatever, like the the the, the bleach blonde suburbanites of of the country, like have such, I think, depth of experience. Like the sure the the the, the, the tragedy of that experience brings out a lot of amazing human. Mm-hmm. Uh, dignity and, and, and the person who comes out of that and says I want to help animals like what's wrong with that holy yeah. ca- I mean that, that's somebody who's thing. like yeah it's not like a huge like uh, fashionable uh, uh, social cause but you're actually making incremental progress in the world yeah like you're doing you're reducing yeah the suffering of conscious beings which is like Think about like how I just think that's a really deep idea to have from the state of like utter excess. Like from oh yeah, we, we got this new TV, we got like like the, this, the material stuff is rolling in, and then and then this this person who's ostensibly uneducated says, "No, I want to help something. Like I I want to help the most vulnerable creatures in my like I don't know. I don't understand the the, the human temptation to gatekeep." And it's especially pronounced today, like, in, in the social media world, but it's like, there's no such thing as a both and. It's like, like, that concern, because it's not as righteous as my concern for justice. Yeah, what's among, with that? I don't know. It's like, why not both? Yeah. What's no. wrong with this this mom or this dad or whatever giving money to this, this animal shelter to save, you know, stray dogs and advocate for adoptions, etc., and no-kill shelters? What's wrong with that? And then also, what's wrong? Like, it, it doesn't have to be this weird either or. Why do you have to gatekeep something that's clearly virtuous? That is what's bothersome. Because they're not doing enough in your eyes. Therefore, their cause is, despite its fruits, their cause is immediately lesser and therefore just not not even worthwhile pursuing. So just hang out in your little one-bedroom or studio apartment in whatever metropolitan area that is basically... The, the, the suburbs for millennials, you know. It is a suburb. It's, it's, it's anonymous, and we have to talk more about that. But like this, this anonymous, it's t- totally like consumeristic uh, echo chamber. Uh, hang out there and don't do anything, and 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 spit on the people who try to do a tiny little. I know it's that's a, it's offensive. It's you a, offen- yeah, I, I, I'm offended. <laughs> I'm sorry to have offended yeah, you. Yes, it's just cool to end, end on, on an offensive note. <laughs> sorry to offend you, and we'll have a positive note next time. Well, I was thinking, I had an idea about the podcast while well, you can stop recording.